I must warn you, morning, this is a strong word. So tell your neighbor, are you, are you ready for, for the word? Tell your other neighbor, are you mature enough to handle this? If you start getting fidgety and you start feeling like you have to go to the bathroom, you can't handle the truth. I'm going to let you know right now. Because when the truth comes, the bladder gets smaller and smaller. Been in church long enough to know that. So here we go. You guys ready? We're in chapter 8 of Mark, which is the halfway point of our 16-week journey through the gospel of Mark. And halfway through the gospel, Jesus brings a very strong word to those who want to follow him. First of all, it's in Mark 8. If you're reading, if you've been reading along, Jesus does not stop him from saying that he's the Messiah. He's been, he's been doing that for a little bit because he's like, man, it's not time yet. But now he's like, I am the Messiah, and here's what's going to happen. He says, listen, I will go to Jerusalem, and I will be arrested. I will be flogged. I will be wrongly accused. They will have a fake trial. They will crucify me, and I will die for the sins of the world. And he begins to tell his disciples, the way to me is my, by my example. If you want to follow me, be ready to do the same things, to walk the same path. And he calls all of those who want to follow him to a deeper commitment. And I want to read today from the Amplified Version because I want you to really see the power behind Jesus' words here. And we want to dissect what he means here. But this is for serious followers. Here's what Jesus says in Mark 8. Jesus calls Jesus called the crowd together with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, which is another word for student, he must deny himself, which means set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross, which means expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, which means believing in me, Conforming to my example in living and, if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Keep going. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. Through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake and the, gospels, and the gospel will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God, which means eternity without God. For what, what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world with all his pleasures and forfeit his soul? Keep going. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul and eternal life in God's kingdom? For whoever is ashamed here and now of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father 
with the holy angels, can you say amen? amen. My friends, this is the call of Jesus to anyone who wants to truly follow him. So I'm going to title this talk, and I don't have slides on purpose because I really want us to lean in and want to get something out of God's word. I'm titling this talk, Take the World, But Give Me Jesus. Take the World, But Give Me Jesus. It's more than a song. It's a declaration of life. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Have you ever seen a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot? Have you ever seen this bumper sticker? That bumper sticker drives me nuts. Because if Jesus... The Son of God, equal with God, who was there in the beginning when God created the universe. The Jesus who is the creator of galaxies and moons and stars and people. If he's in the car with me, what the heck am I doing driving? You got a holy, perfect God in the car, and you're driving? What is wrong with you? And the audacity to say, I'll drive Jesus. Like, that is the most dumbest bumper stick I've ever seen in my life. But you think, you think is a bumper sticker, but the reality is that's how a lot of people are living this Christian life. This is where the problem is. This is where the rubber meets the road. Is you're saying that Jesus, he's Lord and Savior, but you're over here driving your own car. And I hope you understand. I, 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 I moved on from a physical car. I'm talking about the car of your life. See, see that? That tells me we're preaching already. <laughs> Jesus is in the car, and we have the audacity to think we can drive. Because the question you got to ask yourself today when you hear him say, hey, here's what it takes to follow me, you got to ask the question, who is truly in control of my life? Who has the first and final say in my life? Understand that this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where Jesus separates churchgoers from his followers. Because you can, you can drive yourself to church does not mean he is driving your life. You see, the, the, the struggle that I'm seeing is that we have equated Jesus to our life coach. Like, Jesus is around to bless my life the way I want him to bless my life. 
It's like the way I picture Jesus in this car that has this bumper sticker is that someone's driving and Jesus is just, is just the bubblehead guy. It's like, Jesus, where are we going? Oh, I don't know. You tell me. What are we doing? I don't know. Tell me. You know? And, and then we drive our own car and, and we do our own thing. We go where we want to go. And then when something goes wrong and we crash the car, we blame the co-pilot. We say, where were you? How come you let this happen? And he's over here like. Because my friends, hear me on this. We have reduced Jesus to our own little genie in a bottle. We drive and we say, hey, here's where we're going. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're not going to do. What do you think? If he's the co-pilot... That means I'm God. If he's the co-pilot, that means I'm in charge. But here, he makes it clear, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself in order to follow me. Jesus is like, I didn't sign up to be your co-pilot. Your shotgun buddy can do that. I signed up to be the Lord of your life. And if I'm not Lord, I am nothing because I refuse to be your co-pilot and co-sign things that I would never co-sign. Listen, deny yourself is so counter-cultural. Deny yourself goes against the very fabric of our nature. It cuts through the core of who we are at the center of our being. We are self-centered people. Jesus says, I want to cut right through the core of you, the real you. But what's amazing is there's freedom in denying yourself if you truly understand what Jesus is offering It's like an oxymoron following Jesus, you know? Because Jesus says, hey, you want to win? Learn to lose. And we're like, what do you mean lose? All I do is win, win no matter what. (laughs) But Jesus is like, no, that's the illusion of winning. I want you to really win. But to really win, you must yield control of the illusion that you are in control. Because true freedom is being liberated from the false self in order to embrace your true self in Jesus. That's true freedom. We're not sure. We're going to dig a little deeper today and your bladders are going to get really small. This is not self-improvement. You go to a bookstore right now, you will find thousands of books on how to improve your life. And we keep writing self-help book year after year after year after year, and none of us are improving. This is not, all I need is a little tweak, Jesus. And Jesus is like, I'm not, a, I'm not your chiropractor. I came to be the Lord of your life. Not to tweak your life. My friends, hear me. This is about yielding control. 
This is about surrendering. This is about losing the illusion of control, the illusion of I determine my own destiny. And I think if anyone paid attention this year, I think COVID made it clear you don't have control. I think if anything, I don't know, listen, I don't know God's heart fully, but I know this, if God allows something to happen, it's because he's making a point. Nothing the Bible says happens without God's allowing it to happen. And so God allowed COVID to happen, and COVID exposed how much we're not in control. Matter of fact, COVID exposes to the core that we realize, oh my God, I didn't really, really trust God. I trust security in things. We were exposed at the core of us that, that when God is not really at the center of us, other gods jump in and say, hey, I'll take over. Fear said, hey, I'll jump in. I'll be your God. I'll tell you where to go, where to not go. I'll tell you who to sit with, who not to sit with. I'll tell you when to go to church, when not to go to church. And then fear is like, hey, I got a friend called anxiety. I'll bring him over. And we're going we're gonna to take over and show you how to live your life. And here we are talking about I'm free, but we can't leave our home. My friends, hear me. The greatest enemy to follow in Jesus is our own ego. Our ego works in two ways, depending on your personality. Our ego is so interesting because our ego will play tricks on you. Your ego will either tell you you have a superiority complex. Like, I don't need anything. I'm good. You know, I am my own thing. I drive my own car. No one tells me what to do. That's, that's the inflated ego. But then some people, it's the deflated ego. It's the inferiority complex. I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. I will just be a victim. Everybody's out to get me. It's me against the world. And Jesus says both of those are egos. You you don't have what it takes either way. You have to learn to yield control. Your ego is your worst enemy when it comes to following Jesus. Because here's what we're saying indirectly. What we're saying is, hey, if Jesus is the co-pilot, what I'm saying indirectly is, I know how to run my life better than him. That's what we're saying. Say, I got this, man. You're good over there. I got this. And so we go, and we do our thing, and we pursue our thing, and we go, and we go, and we go, and then we crash, and we go, ah, why'd you let this happen? Because I'm not your co-pilot. I'm either leading or I'm not. We think we can do a better job of Jesus at running our own lives. And, and some of us, it's not, even, it's not even like obvious stuff like in the world. It's in the church. If I just do my devotionals, if I just do this, and if I just do this, and I want to control everything with scriptures. Jesus is like, I'm still not Lord. The Pharisees controlled the scriptures, but they didn't have God's heart. You'd be surprised how many people who know a lot of scriptures, but they don't yield their lives to Jesus. Lost one. (laughs) To deny yourself is to lose your sense of being an individual self, which is completely counter-cultural. 
Because our culture is all about self. It's all about me. It's about me like the whole thing was created for me. And if it's not working according to me, then it can't, it can't, something's got to be off. So Jesus is saying, listen, you really want to follow me? You cannot build your identity on gaining things like the world does. It's to completely detach yourself from the ways of the world. And when he says the world, he's talking about the philosophies, the approach to life. One of his first students, John, once he understood this, he wrote to the church that he was pastoring. John is the same John who wrote the book of Revelations. By the way, he was, he was writing that book to a group of people who were going through persecution and trials and tribulations. It's real people. It's not some, some people far, far away from him. He was talking to real people. And one of the things John says is this. He said, look, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And he keeps going. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I don't know if you caught it, but he said the world offers three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Three things. Physical pleasure, everything you see is yours, and then pride in your achievements and possessions. Look what I did. I, I made this. I'm the man. If you're taking notes, the world culture, your identity is performance-based. It's how well you're performing that you feel you have an identity. It's all about achievements. It's all about flexing and showing and build my own security, build my own trust, build my own network, build my own thing, build my own platform. And what we've done, this is where it's going to get tricky. What we've done, we've taken the gospel of Jesus and we've tried to blend it in with this American version of Jesus that Jesus never co-signed. And so what we have now, we have this conundrum where we have the American dream mixed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the problem is now we can't tell which one is which because the whole thing is blended together and it's a confusing thing. And we think now that the American dream is the gospel. And Jesus was making it clear 2,000 years ago, that is not my kingdom. So here's what we end up with now. This is where we are in the conundrum. We have ended up with an with a Americanized version of Jesus where he has blue eyes. He's got beautiful shampooed hair. He has a beautiful purple sash. And he's a white evangelical. And he always votes Republican. <laughs> that's the Jesus we've created. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And then the message that, that has come with this is four parts. This message that we now have, the Americanized version of the gospel is this. The Americanized version of us is, number one, be popular. Be popular. Show people how great you are. 
Number two, be great. Flaunt it. Do you, boo-boo. Do your thing. Number three, be successful. Be driven. Accomplish your goals. Do all the stuff. And number four, avoid suffering at all costs. Whatever it takes, don't let it hurt you. That's the Americanized version of Jesus. But the problem is when you read the Gospels, it's completely counter-cultural. When you read the gospel, the first thing, when, when people say be popular, Jesus says run from popularity. It's like run, live an obscure life, live a life of purpose and meaning. Don't let the world define you. Why? Because the world will praise you one moment and crucify you the next moment. It's a sad thing. I read this article that broke my heart. The research said that 10, 20 years ago, if you asked the kid what you want to do for a living, a kid would normally say, I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a cop. I want to make a difference. They did a research recently and said, ask kids, what do you want to be? And the number one thing kids want to be now is social influencers. We drank the Kool-Aid of popularity. And our kids are paying a high price for this. Because now we're valuing our identity on how many followers we have on Instagram. And God could care less how many followers you have. He's asking you, are you following me? And you why, why our kids have so much anxiety, so much stress, so much worry at 13, 14, because we put this thing on them that you're supposed to have this many followers, you're supposed to look this way, you're supposed to talk this way, you're supposed to act this way, and then you do all of those things and still find themselves empty because that will never fulfill you. Yes. Jesus says, run. Because if they define you, they'll de-platform de you. If they, can, if, they can, if they can highlight you, they can cancel you. This is where cancel culture comes from. Hey, we put you up there and we can take you down. But the Bible says that God has given us a new spirit. Not of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. A sound mind. A sound mind. Not confusion. It says, be great. Even the disciples were struggling with this. On the way to the cross, they're having an argument about who's the goat. Here's the goat getting ready to go do goat stuff. And they're like, yo, who, who's the greatest? He said, you know, you know what the greatest is? The servant. You want to be great? Learn to, be, learn to serve. Jesus' kingdom is upside down. He says, hey, you want to be first? Be last. Because the first will be last. The last will be first in my kingdom. Listen, this thing about greatness is a is, is, is dangerous place because only God is great. Yes. And, and in God's economy, the MVPs are the servants. Because he, he is the MVP who went and gave himself. The American gospel says be successful. That's number three. Be successful. Flex it. 
Can't go on Instagram without some dude telling you, hey, let me just hop on here and let me tell you real quick how I made $5 million in like two weeks. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me show you how. Here's my Lamborghini that I rented. Here's the house that I'm, that I'm renting. You know, this is not even real by face. I'm like, I, I, I hired an actor to be to do this so I can fool you into another sponsor scheme so you can think you can be successful. But the reality is, this is just an ad. It's not real. But here we go. Take my wallet. When it comes to be successful, God says, the way I determine success is how faithful you are. So you can scratch success and put faithful there. Because God says, all I'm asking you to do is to be faithful to the things that I trusted you with. If I gave you a job, be successful there. If I gave you a marriage, be faithful there. If I gave you children, be faithful there. If I gave you a church, be faithful. When he comes back, he says, I'm going to look to see who was faithful. Jesus said, he's going to say, well done, my good and successful? No, my good and faithful servant. Number four, oh, we love this one. Avoid pain at all costs. No matter what it takes, if you can go around it, avoid it. And so what have we done? We, we, we've made sure that we have something for every single pain. Hey, you got a pain? I got a pill for you. You got doctors selling fake prescriptions because those doctors got to make money off your pain. We got politicians making backdoor deals to make sure that we are an addicted generation. And now you can, you can, man, listen, the new thing is, man, weed shops everywhere. That's the new trend. I'm telling you, I think we're going to get to a place, we're going to legalize everything on the face of the planet and then realize, why are we still empty? Why is it still not working? Why am I still hurting? Why am I still struggling? Why am I disappointed? Why am I frustrated? Why am I depressed? Why am I lonely? Why? Why? Because we bought into the wrong gospel. Jesus' gospel says there's a cross involved and you can't avoid it. Because... Pain is our greatest teacher in life. Greatest lesson we will learn is through pain. It's actually pain that God uses to mold us and shape us in his image and likeness. Pain is God's way of sanctifying us, of purifying us, of purging us, of cleansing us, and making sure that we're relying fully on him and him alone. It doesn't mean we're going around looking for pain, but when it comes, we say, I'm willing to take up my cross. I'm willing to go through this because when I'm weak, I'm really strong. He, says, my, my, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. The greatest moment you will have with Jesus is when you're at your weakest place. Because then he's like, oh, I can be Lord now. That's why sometimes Jesus has to let us go through everything, ex exhaust every option, like the prodigal son who went out, did his thing, did his partying, slept around, drank, did his thing, and then got to a place that he's like, man, I got, I'm empty. He says, what am I doing here? And that's when he decided to go back to his father. Because sometimes God's like, man, I'll let you, go ahead, go exhaust all your options. So you can find out that I was all you needed in the first place. 
Jesus said that will never work. You know why it's never working? Please pay attention to this. We have a crisis of existence in our hand. We have everything in this country to succeed, but we're most miserable than ever, more depressed than ever, more lonelier than ever, more angry than ever, more disappointed than ever. Why? Because we've exhausted all the options and it's not working. Why? Because it never was supposed to work. That's why suicide rate is up, depression is up, domestic violence is up, divorce is up. Why? Because we have realized that I'm driving this thing. And we got the God of the universe on our side, but we made him a co-pilot. You see, to lose the old self and old approach of performance is the gospel. Gospel saying stop striving on your own strength. Base yourself and your identity on Jesus and the gospel. Because here's the thing, my friends. Please, please hear me here. Only true love from Jesus can change you from the inside out. That's what we want. That's what we're craving. True change. Not, not performance change. Not, not, you know, pretend change. Not, you know, I got a haircut and I changed. Not, you know, I, I, I just got a new shirt. I feel really good. But that, that fades. And then you got to go shopping again. True change only comes when you're in love with Jesus. So get this. When you hear a strong message like deny yourself, you have to understand that the only way you would actually deny yourself if you fell in love with something greater than yourself. If you don't fall in love with something greater than yourself, denying yourself feels like, oh my God, that's the word, I can't do that. But when you fall in love, what you do is you, you rebuke everything else because you found the it. And so you, when you fall in love, you're like, man, that, yeah, that can go, and that can go, and that can go because I found it. Jesus said it's like the person who, who found that pearl and, and he went and sold everything and said, I found it. It's easier to deny when you're in love. But if you're not in love, man, it's the, it's, the, it, you, it's the hardest thing you will ever do. Only the true love from Jesus will empower you to want to deny yourself. Because here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, look to me. I went to the cross to lose my identity so you can have an identity as a child of God. Do you understand what happened on the cross? Jesus was crucified, and for the first time ever in, in his life, he felt separated from God the Father, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But God the Father knew this is the moment, for just a little moment, we're going to be separated so we can open doors for more people to come in to us. He said, I'm willing to lose my identity as a child of God so you can be a child of God, so you can stop striving and try to perform. Please hear me on this. This is a deep one. I hope you catch this in the spirit. You don't find yourself by going to Jesus to find yourself. You find your true self by going to Jesus to find Jesus. You don't find yourself by going to Jesus to find yourself. You find your true self by going to Jesus to find Jesus. If you're going to Jesus just for improvement, it's about you. But if you go into Jesus to yield to him, then he can transform you and then give you an identity that you actually care and you love yourself and you actually allow him to dictate your life. You don't 
find your true self by going to Jesus to find Jesus. Listen, this is where the mistake is. People are coming to church thinking, I need to find myself. No, you need to lose yourself. Then you'll find yourself. That's why he says, take up your cross. Because he's saying embrace the suffering because the suffering is the process. It's how I mold you. It's how I shape you. Every time God presents an opportunity to grow you, it usually it's going to come through a thing called pain. Because he doesn't say, hey, I'm here to change your life. He says, I am pain and I'm here to do a work if you allow me to. Or, I am pain and I'm here to drive you deeper into yourself. Because you get better or you get bitter. It's to die to self-determination. Our society loves stories about self-determination. Look at what I did. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I went to school uphill both ways with no shoes in the snow. Say, all right, Grandpa. It's to die to the illusion of controlling of your own life. Again, COVID has made that clear. One virus could shift the whole world. One virus that you can even see. So think about how many more things we don't see. Dying, listen, this is a big one. Please hear me. Take up your cross is to die to using Jesus for your own agenda. He's not your co-pilot. He's not here to co-sign what you want to do. That's how a lot of people are approaching this thing. We pray prayers that sounds like we are the God of the universe. Hey, God, this is what I need you to do. God, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I want. And he's supposed to just be a bubblehead. Even in church, it's amazing to me, people will come to church and make it all about themselves. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I didn't really like that song we sang today. And what I want to say is, man, I'm so glad because we, I didn't come to worship you. <laughs> I heard a pastor say, a woman came to, to him after service and said, Pastor, I normally like your services. I don't know where that voice came from. I'm just... <laughs> Anytime someone starts with, you know, normally... And you're like, all right, get ready for the throw up. (laughs) She said, but I tell you what, today I was really offended by your message. And this pastor filled with the Holy Spirit said, what makes you think that God doesn't want to offend you with this message? Because let's be real, we've made offense a God now. I, I worship bitterness, I worship anger, I worship resentment, I worship anything that doesn't worship me. And we'll find verses to back it up. But we'll skip all the other ones who tells you, God wants to correct you, God wants to rebuke you, God wants to transform you, he disciplines those he loves. Oh, religious people do it all the time. When the word comes, it cuts against the selfish nature, we will find scriptures, but we will skip over the ones that are trying to discipline us. That's when we hear from God. 
God told me to move on from this church. Of course he did. I think God's saying, man, you can't accept correction. You probably need to go. <laughs> probably need to go. Go use your scriptures on other Pharisees. My friends, Jesus is either Lord or he's nothing. Paul the Apostle, the greatest missionary that ever lived, he said, I die daily that Christ may live in me. Not on Sundays. I die daily to my self-interest, daily to my own agenda, daily to my own ways so that Christ may live in me. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This time of the year, I do a lot of reflection because next week, Memorial Day weekend, makes 23 years since I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was, I was 20 years old, just a kid. And I could tell you simply what my life was all about. Simple. Two things. I was all into playing sports and chasing girls. That was me, 20 years old. If you're 20, you're holy, please don't hear me. Just follow Jesus. But I remember Memorial Day weekend, the church that I would attend, because I always believed in God. But I was driving. I thought God was cool. We cool. Not hurting anybody. We good. Church was having this family camp up in New Hampshire. Me and my boys were like, man, a weekend away in New Hampshire. That sounds fun. Plus, this church has a lot of good-looking girls. Let's go. <laughs> and we went. Every night, there were services. And I did what most people do when you're not into it. You sit all the way in the back. Not you guys. You guys are holy. <laughs> Just talking about me. <laughs> sit all the way in the back. And now I feel the pain of every pastor that preaches. Because I was sitting in the back, all I heard was womp, 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 Jesus. Womp, 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 womp. Some of y'all, that's all you're hearing right now. Womp, 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 Jesus. Day one, womp, 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 Jesus. Day two, womp, 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 Jesus. Final night, I'm sitting in the back. Womp, 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 Jesus. But then the pastor said, bow your heads and close your eyes. And it happened. I don't remember a word he was preaching about. All I know in that moment, I heard a voice from the inside say, you're living in vain. And that broke me. I still remember that moment. Because the next thing I remember, I was on my knees sobbing like a little girl. Because I realized in that moment, revelation came. And over the years, I reflect on this. I didn't know this in the moment, but two things stood out to me. In that moment, I felt deeply loved. But I also felt that this God is holy. It was a deep love and a deep reverence all at once. All these range of emotions was going through me. I'm only 20 years old. And having this moment in the back of this, this, this makeshift church chapel in the middle of New Hampshire. And I knew in that moment, you don't have to believe me. This is my story. Everybody has this story. In that moment, I knew I'm never going to be the same again. 
everything changed in that moment. 20 years old, now go into this cabin, couldn't sleep all night because I was like, I, how do I articulate what just happened to me? God is real and he loves me, but he's also holy and he wants me to live for him. And I begin to take this thing and start to devour this thing because I'm like, I need to know what just happened to me. And as a 20-year-old kid, all I was thinking about is, how do I explain this to my boys back home? 20-year-old, that's, that's, that's your priority. I remember coming home excited to tell my boys, man, this Jesus is real. It rocked me. I'm never going to be the same again. And we would play ball, put the ball aside because I'm like, no, I got to tell you, man. I'm telling you, like, this is crazy. It really spoke to me and it's changing me and something's happening to me. You got to come with me. And they, and they, come on, man. You went to this New Hampshire thing. Come on, man. It's just a phase. We'll give you a couple of days. Come on, man. Come with this church thing. Come on, man. It's been 23 years. I still have that same drive, that same passion. It hasn't gone away. It's still there. It's still there. But here's the thing. That day, the journey of self-denial began. That day began the process of denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus. That wasn't a one-time thing. He made it clear, this is, we're going to grind daily. No one had to teach me the fear of God. He put it on me. And here's the other thing. I didn't expect anyone to feed me. I just knew I need to go dig. I need to go find. In 23 years, I've never felt that another man needs to feed me. Another man can sustain and, and confirm, because if I'm feeding myself all week long, all that man can do is confirm what God has been speaking to me all week long. So, allow me to share six things that has shaped me in denying myself. Take up my cross and follow Jesus. This is what's been shaping me for the next last 23 years of my life, and I pray it shapes me until he decides to take me home. I hope it's when I'm old, because I want to rock PJs and be a grandfather. <laughs> I don't know what he has in store, but that's what I'm hoping. But let me start with three, and then I'll give you the next three. Number three, first three things, listen. I started this daily seeking Jesus through prayer and his word. My conviction was, if what I just experienced is real, I need to know everything I can about this Jesus. I can't wait for second-hand revelation. I need first-hand. I need to know him for myself. And I started devouring this thing. My friends, this thing became the daily bread for me. I had to have it, and I still have to have it. In 23 years, please, don't, don't think I'm, I'm this perfect person, but in 23 years, I've never missed reading my Bible. This is not the first or second or third time I'm reading through the Gospel of Mark. I'll keep digging through the Word, because every time I go to the Word, he's revealing more of him. He's showing me more. He's, ex he's exposing to me more. And as I grow, the word grows with me. Yes. Yes. Or better yet, I grow with the word. Yes. I have to pray daily. Not, Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. No, I need to seek him. Yes. Because prayer to me is the, is the greatest outlet to his heart. Yes. 
And prayer to me is a package deal. There are days I need to vent. There are days I need, to, I need counseling. I need therapy. I, I just need to, to, to tell God what's going on. And I'm so thankful that he doesn't reject my prayers. He just wants me to talk to him. Daily seeking him for who he is. And daily saying, I need to die to myself. Number two, I learned to detach from the world. My friends, anything that didn't fit, anything that looked like lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, I began to say to Jesus, cut it off. And he began to show me areas in my life that needed to be detached from the ways of the world if I'm going to see his will. My friends, I did my best to bring my friends to Jesus, to bring my friends to church. Some did, some didn't. My best friend in high school said this to me one day. He said, man, I'm seeing you change, and I don't want to. So in that moment, we went like this. Because I'm like, take the world, but I need Jesus. The more they made fun of me, the more he deepened my convictions. The more they laughed, the more they mocked, they didn't realize they were prophesying over me. Oh, you're a priest now. Guess what? It just made this more real because he said you will be persecuted. Even down to entertainment, Jesus was changing everything. Again, this is my story. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm telling you my story. It was shaped me. I wasn't born a pastor. <laughs> I was just a kid. I remember one day, I was driving on 95. I'll never forget, I was 95, living in Rhode Island. I'm driving on 95 into Providence, and I'm listening to music, and I was one of those annoying kids with, with speakers in my trunk and an amp in my trunk. <laughs> <laughs> I was the kid that went to your neighborhood, and you were like, gosh darn it, these kids. That was your pastor. I'll never forget the day. I was on 95, and I heard that voice again. My favorite rapper was Tupac. All eyes on me. Still remember that. And in that moment, he said, but everything they're talking about is completely opposite of the life I want you to live. There was no youth pastor in the car. Just me and that voice again. And I was like, whatever, it's going to hinder me. It needs to go. Because he said, I want you to renew your mind. And I want your mind to be clean and pure and focused. So you know what I did? I grabbed one of those things. I don't know if you remember, but we, have, we used to have these things called CDs. <laughs> and I had one of those little, those little, little b- big CD cases. Remember those? <laughs> remember that? Remember those days? And I threw the whole thing out. Because I was like, Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm not going to let anything hinder this relationship. I'm serious about this. Places. I never step into a club again. Because I don't know if you saw, he says the cravings, he changes your cravings. He gives you a new appetite. He gives you a new longer. Never drank again. Didn't need to. He says, be in the world, but not of it. 
And then number three, he began to show me how to surrender every area of my life. And I mean every single area of my life. Because he's like, if I'm not Lord of all, then I'm not Lord at all. He teach me to hate sin and to love righteousness. Because that's how you get God's anointing. Jesus walked around the earth hating sin and loving righteousness. And people say, and we all sinners, yes, but you don't have to live in sin. It's a difference. Every area, I want to get clear today. He started teaching me how to redeem my time. Because it's like time is your greatest currency. How you spend your time says who you are. So it's like you've got you to make time to be with me. That's a priority. That's not, that's not something that you do when you go to bed at night trying to say your prayers and fall asleep. It's like, no, you've got to have time. You've got to make time to be with me, to be in the Word. He says, you want to be a man of God, you're going to be pure. See, purity is not just sex. Purity is your heart, your eyes, your mind, your spirit. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at another woman lustfully. That's puberty. And he dealt with my sex life. 20 years old. He said, if you're serious about me, you will surrender that. And by the grace of God and by the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, I never had sex again until I got married when I was 27 years old to my wife. started to teach me about money. Says, I bless you to be a blessing. Teach me how to tithe. Put them first. First verse I ever memorized, Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I will add all these things to you. What are all these things? He says, everything people worry about, what to eat, what to wear. He says, seek me first, put me first, I'll take care of everything. 23 years later, I've never lacked a thing in my life. He taught me how to work. He says, if I give you a job, you work to me, not to men. So you show up on time. You have the best work ethic. You respect people, and I will bless you. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. Taught me how to have healthy relationships. And the worship team, you guys can come out. That was your cue. (laughs) We have cues, and sometimes they miss it. Here they are. I want to read something to you because you have to understand that when you deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, he doesn't co-sign every relationship. He doesn't co-sign every, everything you're doing in your life. This is where it's going to get bumpy. Look what the Bible says. Book of Corinthians. By the way, the church in Corinth was a port city like New Bedford. Not that different from us. But look what he says. Don't you realize, by the way, verse, chapter 6, begin of verse 9 if you're taking notes. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people 
or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you, no, no, let me finish. Some of you were once like that, once. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And so God says there's a before and there's an after. You don't stay in the same lifestyles. You don't stay in the same ways. When I get a hold of you, I redeem you. I'll transform you. I will heal you. I will empower you. And I will strengthen you. And I will change you from the inside out. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please remain standing. I'm going to close. Understand this. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. You still struggle. It doesn't mean you don't have cravings from the world, but you learn to replace your cravings. You learn to die to your cravings. You say, Jesus, I'm feeling tempted, but you said you will lead me not into temptation, but you will deliver me from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He empowers you to not stay in the same lifestyles that you were before. In the last three, my friends, I, I plugged in to his church. You guys can go to my last three back there. I plugged in. And I say that because a lot of people don't understand the power of being plugged into a local church. Jesus said, I will build my church. People. He says, you need to be in community with other people. I understood what it means to have a pastor, not be a lone ranger Christian. I understood what it means to submit to authority and to submit to a local church. And not just attend, but serve there and help there. Because you're not the church if all you have is Bible knowledge, but you don't have service to back up your knowledge. And I've done probably most of the ministries that churches have to offer just because I want to be in God's house. I never had a plan to be a pastor. That was God's plan. I serve in kids' ministry. I serve in youth ministry. I serve in young adults' ministry. Whatever it takes, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to be in your church. I want to do my part. It's not attending. That's the other thing. My friends, the American way of church is consuming. We turn church into another thing we consume. Church is something you contribute to. Something you're part of and you make a difference there in whatever capacity God allows you to. And I learned to share Jesus with anyone who will listen. It's too good to keep to myself. I can't keep to myself. This thing is too good. People need to hear it. I tell people all the time, I didn't learn preaching from seminary. I didn't go to seminary for another six years. I got saved in 98. I became a pastor in 2004. But all that time I was learning how to be a man of God and how to share Jesus. I would share Jesus in gas stations, in McDonald's, in Burger King, in a school cafeteria. Whatever he allowed me, I would share Jesus. And I feel confident the reason why I'm up here today is because he knows all along you've just been trying to serve me. You never looked for a platform. You just looked for a way to preach my gospel and to teach people about me. And God says, I can trust you. And the last thing, man, is silence and solitude. I can't tell you how much we need this in our country. We're so caked up with so much noise bombarded every day. And I mean sometimes good things. I see Christians listen to two, three, four podcasts a day, watch TBN, watch this preacher, watch that preacher, and still miss Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you make time, 
I will teach you. Abide in me. My words will abide in you. That's why we've been ending service by saying, listen, it's not dismissal. It's an invitation to take a step towards Jesus and to let him do some things. I know these messages makes us, it's a tug of war, isn't it? Inside, guess what? Something's got to give. If you're not afraid to surrender, you're going you're gonna to yield fruit. We're all in a rush to go nowhere. Have you noticed that? We get out of here, we're restless. We go home, we got to put on the radio, we got to put on TV. We can't be alone and quiet to hear the voice of God. It's the greatest discipline we need. If you just learn to be, be still, the Bible says, and know I'm God. When we do the song, it's an invitation to be still. It's an invitation to surrender, to say, God, that message is hard. It rubs against all my sinful nature, but I'm willing. I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to let go. I'm willing to let you be the Lord of my life. I can go let go of the wheel and you can drive. 23 years, man. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears. It's a lot of work to die to yourself. But man, I wouldn't trade it for anything in this world. Take the world, give me Jesus. Let's worship. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and minister to us on a deeper level, the level that only you can. And I pray you do the inside work that only you can do. Forgive us, purge us, cleanse us, purify us, sanctify us. Set us apart for you. Give us the strength to say boldly today, take the world, but give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.